0: You know, we've been doing a series uh, where we are in Surrey called um, God's Leading My Response. I, it, it sounds so funny for me to have been a bit of an Essex boy now living in Surrey. Because in Essex, they talk more like Barry, all right? <laughs> know what I mean? Uh, but in Surrey, they talk like this in Surrey. It's very BBC. And, uh, you know, it's just very posh and very nice. And that's how we are in Surrey. Oh, yes. Peter's our pastor. Pastor Peter Prothero. (laughs) They call me P3 in Surrey because Pastor Peter Prothero is just a mouthful. So one of the guys down there said, I'm not going to call you that. I'm going to call you P3. (laughs) Do you get it, Pastor Peter? Okay. So P3. Yes, some call me P4. Picky Pastor (laughs) Peter Prothero. Because I'm fussy about coffee and I'm fussy about certain things. So, yeah, I do have that reputation amongst some people. But we're doing a series called God's Leading My Response, and um, the the thought behind that is simply this. When God shows up and wants to do something, what will my response be to what God wants to do? Um, How will I position myself to respond in a way that's appropriate, or in a way that demonstrates faith, or in a way that allows God to do exactly what he wants to do? Do you remember in Isaiah 6, Isaiah is praying to God and, well, he's not. He's having a vision of God, really. And, and it, was in a, it wasn't it was in a great period in his life. In Isaiah 6, when Isaiah has this vision of God, his best friend has died. Uh, Uzziah, the king, has died. And they were very close and they worked and collaborated a great deal together. So he's in a place of grief, actually. He's in a place of loss. He's, he's not in a great place. And, he, and then he, he says this. He writes these words. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord wow. high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. And, and the train is like, you know, it's like Meghan Merkel's. You know, the train is like <laughs> the thing that comes off the back. And, and it's like the train filled the temple. It's like every, everything following Jesus. It's like, wow. And so in the time of his greatest loss, he gets a vision of the bigness of God. And and in that place of vision, God ultimately speaks and says, um, who shall we send and who will go for us? God's just asking a question. And Isaiah says, here I am. Send me. And it's like he's responding to a vision of the bigness of God. Do you know what I've discovered in my own life? Is that when I'm in a place of disappointment and when I'm in a place of grief or when I'm in a place where... I just want to give up. What I really need is a vision of the bigness of God in that moment. And the more I get a vision of the bigness of God, the easier it is for me to respond. Uh, I, I find that when people are trying to make me respond, I don't know about you, but I'm a little resistant. When, you know, when people are trying to make you do something? It's, it's like the eight-year-old. You know, you try and make an eight-year-old do something they don't want to do. Good luck with that. You know, it's just they know how to dig their heels in, don't they? And it's like, have you noticed when kids don't want to do something, it's always in public? Have you noticed that? It's never like in your private home where you can shout and scream at them and abuse them. It's 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 always in a public place where you're not allowed to do that. And uh, and, and they play up, and it's like, wait till we get home. You know, You know that one? Uh, but you can't you know the idea of forcing or making people do something is not a healthy way of developing people but god wants to somehow capture our hearts with a vision of his bigness so that we respond from our heart yeah. Yeah. we respond from our heart it's always amazed me in the, go- the gospels when jesus showed up you know and And he said to people like Peter and Andrew, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And it says they left their nets. They responded. And everything in your life, in terms of your maturity, your spiritual development, your progress in life, it ultimately comes down to how you choose to respond. You know, you, you can say yes or you can say no. And here's the great thing. Even if you say no, that's no today. It might not be no tomorrow. Do you know, Jesus told a story about two sons, about a father had two sons. He said to the first son, I want you to go work in the field. He said, I'm going. And then he didn't go. And then the second son, he said, he said, I want you to go work in the field. He said, no, why? I've got plans. And then he walked away and repented. And then he went and worked in the field. And Jesus asked the question, who did the will of the father? And so, you know, a no from somebody has never bothered me. Now, I learned that in my 30s pastoring here in colchester because i used to get really irritated by a no it's like what is wrong with you you rebel you know you know what i mean i mean i don't think i ever said that out loud but i was thinking it and uh, now i've learned a no is not a problem because when Saul of Tarsus, who became the apostle Paul, when he met Jesus on the Damascus Road, Jesus said these words to him. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. It's hard for you. That was something that the, that the owner of a donkey would use to get a donkey moving. It was a, it was a stick with sharp bits on the end, and you know, they'd whack the backside of the donkey, the back end of the donkey to get it moving. But how many of you know, donkeys are very stubborn. Yeah. So sometimes you had to whack it quite a few times before you'd get it moving. Um, and Jesus uses this, this sort of analogy to speak to, to Saul of Tarsus. And what I love about that story is it implies that for a long time, he's been saying no to Jesus. But on that day, it became a yes. So I want to I encourage you, if you have a friend in your life, if you have a loved one in your life, and right now it's a no today, they're not responding today, don't worry. It might not be a no tomorrow. Because when the Holy Spirit is working in a person's life, the Holy Spirit is drawing people, drawing people. It's so funny, you know, we we have people who come to our church, all kinds of interesting people. And one thing I've I've learned over the years as a pastor is give people their space to be in their own journey and discover the grace of God and discover the love of God and discover the goodness of God. And we've got a, a lady who comes to our church. Her name is Eti. She doesn't mind me talking about her. She's Jewish. Etty is Ju- a Jewish atheist. <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's an oxymoron already. <laughs> so, so by Jewish, I mean born in Israel. She was the youngest commander in the Israeli Defense, defense Force. She, she led 100 people, 60 men, 40 women. She was on the front page of the Jerusalem Post, just the youngest woman, 21 years of age, when she was made a captain. And uh, I said to her, what was that like? She said, well, you just had to be the best at everything. She said, I had to be the best at unarmed combat with men. I had to be the best at uh, shooting. I had to be the best at everything. She said, that was the only way I could do it. And, uh, and now she lives in the UK, and she comes to our church. So she's, she's a Jewish atheist. She's been coming for two years. She is what I call the stubborn Jew. <laughs> and she loves our church. Every week, she brings her friends to church, and they're all getting saved. <laughs> like, they come one time, and they get saved. You know, I say, you know, at the end of church, I say, who'd like to give their life to Jesus? you know, she's sitting next to a friend. She goes, this is going to be good for you. <laughs> she's one of the best evangelists in our church. I said, so how are you doing this week, Eddie? She said, I'm doing great. And I said, well, how are you doing with Adonai? And she goes, you know, I don't believe that stuff. So she doesn't believe in Jesus, doesn't believe in God, but keeps coming to church and brings all the friends who get saved. I said, you know, what I think is going on here. She goes, What do you think is going on? She's looking at me, she's very intense. I said, I said, I said, your head keeps saying no, but your heart keeps saying yes. (laughs) No one would keep coming unless their heart was engaged. And of course, I get it, you know, when you're Jewish and you've got parents who are in Israel who've been through who's who've got literally the next generation went through the Holocaust and didn't survive. Twenty-three members of her family were killed during the Holocaust. That is a very difficult thing. For Jews to handle, and they just need a lot of unconditional love. And uh, it's astonishing to me that with, without even trying, we've had a number of people who are Jewish get saved in our church, uh, come to faith in Yeshua as the Messiah, and it's really lovely. Um, but so she's still on that journey. But my point is, she is responding even though she hasn't taken the final step. Yeah. Something in her heart yeah. is responding. Yeah. She came to the women's conference yesterday. She said, oh, I just had a marvelous weekend. <laughs> I said, oh, actually, you make me laugh. <laughs> so that's how it is. But, you know, I'm just comfortable leaving people in their space now and just saying, well, it's the Holy Spirit has to do it. God has to show up. God has to do something yeah. in her heart. Do you get that? Yeah. Yeah. So wh- wherever you are in your journey today, You have permission to be where you are. I just want to say that. Now, I may say some things that might provoke you this morning. But listen, you're allowed to say yes and you're allowed to say no. You're allowed to say, I'm going to go away and think about that. Or you're allowed to say, I don't like even the shirt he's wearing this morning. Never mind what he's saying. I mean, you're allowed to be in your space. It's okay. Is that all right? I just want you to know that. Okay, so what I want to do uh, uh, in this text, I want to talk to you about... David's response to the bigness of God, King David, his response to the bigness of God, and his response was one of worship. Um, in this passage, just to sort of give you a little bit of a, a background, something's happened in Israel's history. They, they've gone into the promised land You know for joshua's generation and for two generations afterwards they're really doing quite well and then another generation it says rose up that didn't know the lord and then you have this period of the judges which is probably the darkest period in israel's history while they were in the land and a lot if you read the book of judges it's probably the most depressing book in the bible uh, in terms of all the horrible things that take place there And um, really, you should always read the book of Ruth alongside Judges. In fact, they were one book originally, because Ruth is a great book of redemption and hope, and never read Judges on its own. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's just my advice to you. Uh, And so at the end of the book of Judges, you end up with Eli, who's the last judge. He's a priest. Actually, Samuel is actually the last one, but... But anyway, in that period, it's all very dark, and the Ark of God gets captured by the Philistines. And it's like, you have to understand, in those days, the Ark of God was like the presence of God. And they're in this battle with the Philistines, and think, well, what we need to win this battle is the presence of God. Let's bring the Ark in. And shock horror, it's captured. Now, now imagine just psychologically what's going on in the nation of Israel. It's like God showed up and the enemy took him that's how their minds would have thought and it's like goodness and so here is God now in the camp of the enemy and it doesn't go too well for them if you read the story you know all kinds of things happen in fact they get so sick they decide we better get rid of this because this is not a blessing to who we are And so they put it on a cart. It ends up going back to Israel. And uh, it it ends up where David wants to bring the Ark back into Jerusalem. And the first time he does it, everything goes wrong. One of his top men, Azza, puts out his hand because it's on a cart. It it nearly falls over. He goes to touch it, steady it. He dies. David gets scared to death. He goes, what? I'm bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And now one of my top men is dead. Let's send it to the house of Obededom." (laughs) <laughs> As you do. <laughs> and, well, there, there is humor there if you look for it, believe me. so, so <laughs> It's like, it's too dangerous for me to have it. You have it. <laughs> and so it stays in the house of obed And after three months, all David hears is stories of blessing, blessing, blessing on this wow. man's house. Because wow. the presence of God is there. Yeah. And so David, in this story now that we're going to take up, he, he arranges for the ark to come in and he reads the scriptures and he says, you know, the way we did it the first time was wrong. We put it on a cart. It needs to be borne on the priest's shoulders. It needs to be carried in a special way. God had prescribed that. And so here's what happens. We're in now 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 14. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. I just love that. Just that first sentence. He did it with all his... There was nothing half-hearted about David's response to God's presence. Nothing half-hearted about it. And David was wearing a linen ephod. We'll come back to that later. (laughs) So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of trumpet. And as the ark came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord and she despised him in her heart. She despised him, she looked down on him. Just jump down to verse 20. Then David returned to bless his household, and Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him, to meet David, and said, how glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself in the eyes of the maids of his servant as one of those base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. That's being told off. So David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Let me give you just some things about David and some things about Mikhail, because these are two different responses to God's presence. Wow. Two completely different responses. David's response, first of all, was this. He danced with all of his might. His response was totally wholehearted. Yeah. What, what would happen if as a church we decided whatever we did we'd do it wholeheartedly? Yeah. What would a church like that look like during worship? Where people decided, today I'm gonna sing the best I've ever sung before. Today I'm gonna respond the best I've ever done. What would happen if, in the way we served, we just decided I'm gonna be the best I possibly can be to do? I'm gonna do it with all my heart. Do you know what I've discovered? Um, It's it's interesting. When I was 40, I went back to university and and did a master's degree in leadership and organizational development. That opened the door for me to work for some companies, training senior managers, directors, some top people. One of the things that I've discovered is they're all looking for who will work wholeheartedly. In in other words, they're looking for people who are energetic, enthusiastic, and wanted to be there and wanted to do it. There's nothing worse if you're a boss than having somebody work for you who's half-hearted. They don't really want to be there. You know, why do you want this job? Well, it's a fill-in till I get something <laughs> real. Great. <laughs> now, I realize there are, there are people like that in the world, and I realize there are jobs like that, and I realize that's a legitimate thing. But, but nobody's wanting those types of people. Yeah. Not, not in the long term. What we want is people who say, no, I'm here. I'm going to do it wholeheartedly. And the first thing about David was everything he did here before God, he did with all of his might. He's responding. Here's the second thing. He took off his royal robes and he wore a linen ephod. Here's what I think is the significance of that. There is nothing about David that distinguished him as the king of Israel. It's like if you rocked up that day and you didn't know anybody, He'd say, who's the funny guy at the front going crazy? And people said, well, that's the king. What? You see, that was Mikhail's criticism. You didn't behave like a king today. And David said, because I wasn't there as a king, I'm there as a child of God. I'm there as a son of God. I'm there as a worshiper of God. I'm not there as a king. You see, if you're there as a king, you have to posture. If you're there as a king, it's all about image. If you're there as a king, you've got to behave in a certain way. But when God's presence shows up, you know, nobody's important. The only thing that's important is God's presence. Do you get that? And and, and I think that's really important for leaders and pastors. Listen, when I'm on the front row, I'm not the senior pastor of Equippers Church in Surrey. I'm a worshiper of God when I'm there on the front row. That's my responsibility. I'm not there to simply posture myself of how important I am. No, I'm not at all important in that moment. God is important. Yeah. The ark of his presence is there and that's what we celebrate. And I, I just loved watching your teenagers just down the front, just the way they were going for it. You know, we, we have a whole group of teenagers now, church. They are insane when they go for worship and they love it when I'm on the front row because I go insane with them. Yeah. And they think, hey, the old boy, he's going for it. <laughs> And I am an old boy now. I don't feel an old boy in my heart, but boy, I'm just getting there now. I'm actually a grandfather. Goodness me, I never thought that would happen. But he, you know, here's David. He put aside, hey, listen, what do you need to take off in order to be you in front of God? Because I find, particularly with the British, you know, we just have this sort of, oh, I'm just a bit... Just a bit embarrassed to do that. You know, just, oh, that's not really me. Who says that isn't you? Who told you that? Who told you that? You, you know what I've discovered is that we sort of have a learned behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly in church. We've got this learned behavior. Yeah. And I've had people say to me, you know, I just don't think it's very dignified dancing in church. You know, I, don't, I think it's a dignified sort of doing all that. I said, <laughs> well, well... Who decided what's dignified? Who decided? You see, David said, I'll be even more undignified. I'll be even more undignified. Oh, look at you. You know, I mean, you know, don't you hate sarcasm? It's like when somebody pays you a compliment and then you realize halfway through, oh, this isn't a compliment at all. They're being sarcastic. Oh, you look brilliant today as you danced and showed yourself like one of the base fellows. You know, it's like, you're an embarrassment to me. You're an embarrassment to the kingdom. You're an embarrassment to all those women there who watched you. And I love David's response. He said, okay, baby. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing.
1: <laughs>
0: he says, let's just remember a few things here. God chose me over your father. <laughs> Just want to rub that one in. <laughs> and as for the maidservants, who you say will look down on me, by them I will be had in honour. Have you noticed when people criticise what other people do, they often project onto others what they feel themselves? Uh, uh, oh, you, you, you were you were humble in front of them. They, they were looking down on you. No, they weren't. No, they weren't. I have people do this all the time they try and pull that one on me in church i've just been around church so long now i recognize it a mile away do you know there's lots of people in this church that feel the way i do (laughs) really did you do a survey (laughs) did they all come to you because you're such a great leader tell you their complaint you know we project actually it's our issue but we, we make the assumption there's a whole lot of other people feeling exactly the same way. No, it's you. Yeah. That's just you. Get over yourself, Mikhail. <laughs> and it's like, what a difference. Here's somebody who's responding with all of his might before the presence of God, and here's somebody who doesn't even go out and looks through a window. Sometimes I feel sometimes there are people in church and they're looking through a window. Wow. Not a literal window, but it's like, a window they've created in their heart. They're just looking through it and judging and looking down and evaluating. Well, okay, if that's who you are. She was judgmental in her heart attitude. She was sarcastic in her tone. And she projected her judgment onto others. You know, the sad thing is, it says his therefore, therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children. When it says therefore, it says, that, here's what it means for this reason which is incredibly sad. But here's the spiritual principle. God does not want that attitude reproduced. He doesn't want it passed down through the generations. But, but, but David's attitude was one of wholehearted abandonment, wholehearted worship. He put aside his robes. You know, And I, I remember one time where I was just teaching on response in the church, and, and I've, I found that, If you want people to respond, you have to lead the way. And so, you know, again, I get these, can you imagine Surrey folk getting them excited? Yeah, Yeah, I mean, at least in Essex, they're a bit rough and ready, aren't they? Oh, I'm just kidding you. I'm just kidding. I'm just testing you. I was here 20 years. All my daughters are Essex girls. It's all right. But in Surrey, you know, they're so prim and proper in Surrey. They said, Peter, we just don't do that. It's not how we do that here. And I said, you liar. What do you mean? I said, I've watched you during a football match. I said, you're not very dignified during the FA Cup final, are you? I said, I've seen you swear at the referee, and that's on a television. When you go to a football match, have you noticed how people worship? Have you noticed the wave, you know? Have you noticed everyone's abandoned? Why? Because everyone's entering into the atmosphere and the mood, and that's over a piece of leather and 22 men. I'm talking about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. I'm talking about Jesus. He is so much bigger. He is so much better. I appreciate the enthusiastic response of some. And the let's wait and see of others. (laughs) But you get my point here. We have a learned behavior in church and sometimes it's a very religious behavior. It's a very stiff behavior and it has nothing to do with the gospel. It has nothing to do with the New Testament. You know, when Jesus was coming into the city of Jerusalem and it was the triumphal entry, that's what it's called in the Bible, little children began to cry out Hosanna to the son of David. And all the religious leaders were getting very angry. Because they were quoting Psalm 118, Baruch Habab and I, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They didn't like it. They're saying Jesus is the Messiah. And they come to Jesus and says, tell him to stop it. It's inappropriate. They do that. And Jesus said, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and infants you've perfected praise? Yeah. Psalm 8. You want to see how to worship? Watch an 8-year-old. Yeah. Watch a 10-year-old. Watch a child when music plays. Have you noticed when music plays, kids start to move? Have you noticed that? In fact, nobody has to say to the kids, now, kids, you have to dance. Just put music on and watch them. Because there isn't that self-consciousness that we all develop. And maybe the robe that you need to take off today is the robe of self-consciousness. Maybe the robe that you need to take off today is the robe of being afraid of what others will say. Maybe you need to take off a robe where you're just worried about how you will be seen. And abandon yourself a little more. Give yourself a little more. I love what it says here in Psalm 47. Let me read to you a a few uh, verses from this beautiful psalm. Oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. So there's a command in the Old Testament to clap. So next time the clapping goes, hey, go for it. Clap your hands, all you peoples. I love that. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. Well, why should I do that, Peter? For the Lord most high is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. There's the reason. The bigness of God the greatness of God. You see, when David was celebrating the presence of God, the ark of God coming back, it was all about God's bigness, God's presence. And he wanted to show the people that he wasn't just a king, he was a worshiper. He wasn't just somebody who could lead the people into battle, he could lead them into worship and celebrating God's presence. And we've all got to be like that in our heart. You know, when the disciples were celebrating Jesus coming into Jerusalem, again, in another verse in Luke's gospel, the Pharisees said, tell your disciples to stop it. They shouldn't be saying that. Jesus said, if they stop, the very rocks themselves will start to cry out. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? I love how many times Jesus said no. <laughs> tell them to stop it. No. <laughs> Stubborn Jesus. Don't you love that? Tell your disciples stop it. No. Because if I do, the rocks will do it. No, I don't know how literal that is, but Jesus said it. It's like, whoa. If the rocks are going to do it, why don't we do it? You be the rock star. (laughs) (laughs) He will subdue peoples under us and nations under our feet. He will choose our inheritance for us, the excellence of Jacob, whom he loves. Silah, pause, take a moment, think about that. That's what salah means. God has gone up with a shout. Really? Really? God's gone up with a shout? I didn't know he was down. Well, you know, what's that mean? God's gone up with a shout. And it's, it's, it's like the psalmist is saying, if you want to release the activity of God, sometimes you just got to be vocal. Now, I, I realize that you don't need to shout in order to overcome the enemy. I get that. I get that. I know that you can, you can do a prayer of the heart and not even speak words like Hannah did. And God hears. I get that. But sometimes you need to be vocal. You know, when your kids are crossing the road in front of traffic, you don't say, oh, don't do that. Not very wise. You don't think it. You shout it. Yeah. Stop. Don't go any further. You grab them. Sometimes in life, you need a shout in order to get a breakthrough. When they were going around the walls of Jericho, seven days of silence. Seven days of silence, but in the end, they had to shout. When Gideon was defeating the Midianite army, they broke the vessels, and then they shout the sword of Gideon and the sword of the Lord. They made a declaration. And sometimes you need to do that. Sometimes in worship, there just needs to be a shout. There just needs to be a shout of praise. There just needs to be a lifting, And God goes up with the shout. In other words, he's in it. Yeah. God is in the shout. God is his presence is right there. Let me throw some scriptures at you. Uh, and then we'll go back into a time of praise. Uh, <clears throat> it says in Psalm 22, verse 3, You are holy and on the praises of Israel. You are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel that that's always astonished me because I know God is on his throne in heaven Um, our father who art in heaven hallowed be your name he's he's there in heaven but it's like God's presence comes down when we praise and we worship and we abandon ourselves in that way and when it says he's enthroned it literally means his authority to do what he wants is present And I've discovered that when you abandon yourself in praise and in worship and you dare to just go and uh, be less self-conscious and give yourself in that way, you know what God does? Often his activity begins to set people free, to deliver people, to heal people. I've seen people in meetings just at the end of praise and worship say, I don't know what happened, I'm healed. Well, what happened was God was enthroned in your praise and he did something. It's just amazing. A few more verses. I'll just throw these at you. Just, you don't need to read them with me. Just listen to them. It says this in uh, Leviticus 9.22. Aaron lifted up his hands towards the people. It's very very biblical to lift your hands in praise. And bless them. And he stepped down after making the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offerings. So when blessing was going to come to the people from Aaron, he lifted up his hands. In uh, Nehemiah 8.6, Ezra blessed the Lord, the God... Uh, The great God and all the people answered, amen, amen. There you go. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Very biblical again. Uh, While lifting up their hands, and then they bowed and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. In Psalm 63 and verse 4, so I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. Psalm 134 verse 2, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Today, this is the sanctuary. In Exodus seventeen eleven, so it came about when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed, and when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. Who would have thought the outcome of a war depended on a man holding his arms up and blessing the nation that was before him? That's just crazy, isn't yeah. it? That's just crazy. Why is it sometimes in the New Testament when Jesus wanted to heal people, he laid hands on them? Because that's how you communicate blessing. And with every act of worship, there is an action that you can perform. Sometimes it's just about singing with all your heart. Sometimes it's about lifting your hands. Sometimes it's about giving a shout. But it is about responding. And my encouragement to you as a company of people, my encouragement to me is let's be people who dare to take a new step in responding. You know, I remember growing up in a little brethren church where we weren't even allowed to have instruments in the morning service because they were of the devil. (laughs) And in the evening service, because we were reaching out to people, we were allowed a piano because that was the gospel service. And we wanted all the unbelievers to come in, though I never did see one. (laughs) We've got all these traditions and ways of how we think worship should be. But David shows us really this can i have the musicians up this is how worship should be worship should be a response in our heart to the presence of god to the bigness of god to the greatness of god when jesus came into jerusalem the disciples worshipped him the children worshipped him and he didn't stop them religious people were offended when 10 lepers were healed One of them realized what had happened, and he ran back to Jesus, fell at his feet, and began to worship him. And Jesus said, thank you. But where are the other nine? How is it only a foreigner, only a Samaritan, who has returned to give glory to God, to give thanks? You know, God is so gracious. He healed ten people. Fantastic. Ten people had a story. Ten people had a testimony. But one responded. Hey, I don't know about you. If it's only 10%, let me be in the 10%. Yeah. Just let me be there. I don't want to be in the 90 They that get the blessing but don't respond in any way. Yeah. I just feel like God has called us to be responders. You know what I found when I started dating my wife? It worked best when I responded. (laughs) Should we meet tomorrow? Yeah. Where should we meet? I don't know. What time should we meet? I don't know. When you're vague and indifferent, you can't build. But when you're specific and intentional, boy, you can build something amazing. We've been married for 39 years, Jackie and I. I said to her, next year we're going to enter the promised land. <laughs> Lord, give me strength. <laughs> okay. I wonder if we could stand together. Why don't we just lift our hands to Jesus for a moment? Just, Father, we just acknowledge the presence of your spirit here that can heal, that can deliver, that can do all kinds of things. We say, Jesus, you are our king. We're your people. We're your servants. We love you. We worship you. We bless you. We thank you. You can put your hands down for a second. Just, you know, one of the things I love to do at every meeting that I'm in is give people an opportunity to say yes to jesus maybe you're a christian already maybe you've given your life to jesus but maybe you've never taken that step and you've ended up in this meeting today and you've heard about a great god and a great king and a man who worshipped him but jesus said the days are coming and now are here when those who worship God worship in spirit and in truth it's all about your heart response to who God is if you've never done that before I want to give you that opportunity to do it but maybe you did it a long time ago and you walked away from Jesus but you know he's calling you back you know he's speaking to you you know he's asking you to follow him that he can be king in your life and bring you into a life of fullness and help you fulfill your destiny So if you're in either of those two categories right now, just while heads are bowed and eyes closed, I want you to do something very bold for a few seconds. And that's to lift your hand up high in the air. Let me see it. And then you can put it down again. And we're going to pray a bit later. But if you know you need Jesus in your life, you're either coming back to him or you know you're asking him into your life for the very first time, just lift your hand right now. Lift it up high. Thank you. God bless you. I see that. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. I see that hand. Thank you, ma'am. I see that hand. God bless you. Thank you, sir. I see that hand. Fantastic. You can put it down there. That's awesome. Brilliant. That's brilliant. Hey, friends, we're going to pray out loud together. That's five people saying yes to Jesus today. Here's what I want you to do. Just repeat this prayer after me. We're all going to say it together because if we're already believers here, this is a simple confession of faith. But for some people here today, this is about coming into the kingdom of God and letting Jesus Christ be king in their life. So repeat this prayer after me. Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for his death on the cross where he paid for my sin. Thank you for his resurrection that secured my destiny. Today I declare that Jesus Christ is Lord and he's my Lord. Amen. 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 Come on, let's give God a big shout. There's more joy in heaven right now of over sinners repenting than 99. Come on. Let's give him a shout of praise.